It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello again, this is Adam, the host of Merry Britsmas, the podcast all about Christmas from a British perspective, where I'll ramble on about music, traditions and TV the whole year through. We've passed the first big holiday of the year with Easter, aka stuffing loads of chocolate in my face. It's not quite Christmas, but it's got some perks. Although, there is definitely not the same wonderful range of TV and film and music that we get at the most wonderful time of the year. So let's stick to celebrating the festive season with our April episode. This month, I'm going to discuss a little-remembered 90s sitcom about a leisure centre, the history of the Yule Log, and some interesting British covers of the classic Jingle Bell Rock. Firstly, I may have to explain what a leisure centre is for non-British audiences. A leisure centre is a building designed for sport and relaxation for a local community, usually run by a local council. Usually they have a swimming pool or sports hall, activities, resources such as sports pitches and courts. They might have fitness suites, a caf, sometimes things like saunas and outdoor sports areas. It might be similar to a rec centre if we're thinking about an Americanism. And the reason I'm explaining what a leisure centre is because we're going to talk about the British Empire. The British Empire was a sitcom created for the BBC by writer Andrew Norris. He also worked on children's TV, including Bernard's Watch and Aquila. The British Empire ran for seven series from 1991 to 1997, which was a lot longer than I originally thought. Although I feel like it's not really spoken about much nowadays in terms of classic British sitcoms. The main character is Gordon Brittus, played by Chris Barry, probably better known for his role as Rimmer in the sci-fi classic Red Dwarf. He will save the day. He's brave and he's fearless. Come what may, without him the mission would go astray. He's Arnold, Rimmer. Without him, life would be much grimmer. He's handsome, trim, and no one slimmer. He will never need a zimmer. He's And the reparty, his command of space directives is uncanny. How come he's such a genius? Don't ask me. No rhymes left now apart 
from Quimper Green. They played us out before we get to Shimmer played out, you stupid flimmer. But as Gordon Brittus, he is the well-meaning but rather incompetent manager of the Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, having to manage the staff and the public and appease his wife whilst coming up with ridiculous plans and facing some rather absurd situations. Right, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. Are you the mother of this child? Yes. Is it a boy or a girl? Girl. Well, I'm afraid she's going to have to be a boy for today, and don't worry, no one will notice on television with ears like that. <laughs> he is helped by two deputy managers, his wife's best friend Laura Lansing, played by Julia St John, a calm and efficient presence, and the dim-witted Colin, played by Mike Burns, constantly dealing with personal medical issues, such as allergies and bandaged-up hands. As I said, even though it's little spoken about nowadays, it was a big hit for the BBC, and extended beyond its initial planned few seasons, even bringing the main character back to life after their supposed death at the end of series 5. In 2004, the show came 47th on the BBC's Britain's Best Sitcom poll. There were two Christmas specials, one after season 5 in 1994, and one after season 6 in 1996. We're going to discuss the first one today, which was potentially seen as a final episode, as they were unsure if they were returning for a season 6. So it actually starts off in a modern setting, 2019 to be exact, and remember this came out back in 1994. The characters seem to have new lives in this imagined future, including an opera singer, a vicar, an MP, who rather interestingly discusses electric cars which are becoming more and more common today. Got everything? Oh, I think so. Uh, cases, I've put the dog in the kennels, and I've cancelled the interview. He didn't mind? Well, then brag. I don't think you noticed, poor old boy. He's pretty gaga these days. Why can't you drive something electric like everyone else? It's very bad for my image. I don't care about your image. It's mine I'm concerned about. Look, if you don't elect him, just get out. It's quite fine, I will. Drive a modern. Very sorry. You're not. Please. Don't even want encore. I've told you out there to check my contract. I said not tonight. But, but, but the audience, what do I tell them? I've told you it's New Year's Eve and there's somewhere very important where I have to be. But they're all heading back to the leisure centre for a planned New Year's reunion. And to explain why, we flash back to Christmas 1989 and the leisure centre is on lockdown. Just after Christmas, the leisure centre had only been open a few weeks and Mr Brittus, he was the manager, decided that the weather was so bad that he couldn't allow anyone to go home. We can't go home. I'm afraid not, Linda. It's the weather, you see. The police have been warning people all day not to go out. Then why did you make us come in? We're public servants, Tim. Supposing we'd had a customer. I can't stay. I've got a fancy dress. Yeah, we've got eight people coming to dinner. We all had plans. We're all disappointed. Carol here wants to get home to feed her baby, don't you, Carol? Yes, Miss Bruce. You're absolutely right. But just like the rest of us, she may have to put that one on the back burner and spend the night here. No way. I spent 15 quid on a Minoan bull dancer's costume. I'm going home. I'm sorry, Julia, I cannot... Mr Brutus has shut the whole place down due to a blizzard. He breaks the news in his usual style 
with his usual annoying voice. Sorry, Julia, I cannot allow any members of my staff out in conditions like that. Are you sure it's that bad? Bad enough for a theatrical costumier's lorry to slide off the dual carriageway into the back of the badminton hall. Thank you, Laura. How are lines are down still, Mr Britterson? No luck with the telephone, I'm afraid. Right. Laura, how's the lorry driver? Yeah, I gave him your message about staying, Mr Britterson, but he said he'd rather take his chances in the snow. Well, if he can make it, I know I can. <laughs> No one is going anywhere. There's a foresight blizzard blowing out there, a windshield factor of minus 30, and some of those drifts are over 20 feet deep. Only a lunatic would go out in conditions like that. And annoying laugh. <laughs> of course, he has plans to keep them occupied. You mean we could be stuck here? What are we going to do? I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do. We're going to seize this opportunity that fate has thrown our way. What opportunity is that? Think, Laura, think. Here we are just starting out in our work together. This is our big chance to bond together as a team. You want us to bond, Mr Brittos? Colleen, for once in our lives we have time. Time to have seminars, to do role plays, to plan for the future, to work out which direction we're going towards. Or maybe just sit around and have a good old-fashioned chit-chat, eh? Oh, God! <laughs> Try one of these, Julie. Trust me, this is going to be fun! As things start to get out of control, a food drop is delivered. But it's actually not for them. I'd imagine the authorities have a great deal of experience in coping with these situations, Linda. There must be some simple way of delivering food. Believe what's happened, Mr. Britters. I was just standing in the corridor. Just bring it in, please, Colin. Oh, Mr. Britters, I think we must have had a helicopter drop. Bang, bang, there'll be enough for everyone. <laughs> Kettle cake and pig nuts. What do they think they're doing? Is that all? No, no, we've got ointment for fungal infection in hooves. <laughs> and a note which says, Blizzard worsening, next drop Saturday. Chin up to all at Sunny Hill Farm. There were some other things dropped further down, Mr Bridos. There was what? Ten bales of hay and a carton of candles. No, well, a big help, that is. Just what we need. Aww. Whilst organising, the food is then trapped in a cloakroom and a water pipe explodes and freezes the whole room solid, leading to some degree of panic. In here? Yes, Mr. Bridges, it's just... <laughs> I can only imagine that when the helicopter dropped the pig nuts last night, one of the bags must have come through the roof and fractured a water pipe, and then during the night... Your key's in there? Third hook from the left, Mr. Bridges. <laughs> we can't get to our food. Not until it melts, I'm afraid, Tim. We're gonna die. We're all gonna starve, and then we're gonna freeze, and then we're gonna die! No one is gonna die, Tim. There's a very simple answer to all of this. Then, thanks to some spilt brandy and a candle held too close by Mr. Brittus, well, the food's kind of destroyed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what Colin is going to do is drill around the padlock, the door will open, and breakfast rations will be issued. What was that? What? I had breaking glass. I think I may have broken something, Mr. Brittus. Oh, it's not the brandy. Oh, please, please. Helen, Helen. All right, careful, careful. Right, let me see.
But Brutus, as always, maintains his usual upbeat, annoying attitude. Right, so let's look at the facts. Food situation? There isn't any. Right, power? I'm working on it, Mr Brutus, but at the moment, none. Right, and there's going to be no let-up in the weather. So we have no heat, no light, no food. So it becomes increasingly important we get a good turnout for tonight's sing-song. You're not planning another one. The only reason why people didn't join in last time, Laura, is because they didn't know the words. Well, I've had Carol write out these song sheets. I'm H-A-P-P-Y, <laughs> down on Jollity Farm. I see what you're doing, Mr Brittus. You're picking the bright ones, aren't you? Oh, very clever. <laughs> and, of course, if people don't want to sing, they can play in a band. Colin's got a mouth organ, Tim and Gavin can make shakers out of yoghurt pots and bean bags. No beans. What? No beans! That was a soup we had yesterday. All right, then they could use gravel. I don't think a sing-song is going to save us, Mr Brutus. Laura, we've got to do something. Have we? The employees begin searching for wood to burn for warmth, and Brutus is not happy they're breaking down doors. But it's wood! We have to have something to burn, Mr. Brutus! That's Julie's door! What does she have to do some confidential work for me? Oh, Gordon, don't be such a prat! Confidential business, we'll die! Well, we can at least do it without taking down a brand new leisure centre. Out of the way, Gordon! No! I will not let you take down any more of my centre! No! No, 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 no! I said no! They eventually find some baby food to eat, hidden by the receptionist Carol, to feed the child she hides in the drawers while she works. It's kind of a running joke. The employees think about how Brutus may have actually helped them all. It's awful! Julie, that's not very fair. Oh, it's alright, Laurie, don't have to defend him. I don't defend him and I'm his wife. No, no, Mr Brutus works extremely hard. And whatever's happened over the last few days, I think we could all learn from him. What? Learn from Brutus? Oh, go on, then. Tell us what you've learnt from him. All right. Tolerance. Yeah, he's not very tolerant, is he? <laughs> no, I mean, he's made me more tolerant. Before I came here, I used to get really annoyed at all sorts of things. Traffic, rudeness, the post office. But now, I just don't. They don't seem to matter. You see, Julie, it's making you a much better person. <laughs> it's like police horses, isn't it? Sorry? <laughs> police horses. That's how they train them, by waving flags in their faces, sticking forks in their backsides and letting off fireworks. Then when it comes to the big parade, they don't mind at all. They can take anything. That's it. And Colin, the assistant manager, creates a still to create a kind of petrol, which the others decide to drink instead for the alcoholic content. And with one or two minor adjustments to the carburettor, this is alcohol. 120% proof, Mrs. Brittus. You're going to run the generator on that. We may need one or two additives to aid combustion. Mm, that's not bad. Mrs. Brittus, I don't think you should be drinking that. Mm. Quite apart from the medical hazards, we only have a very small amount. How much have you got? Uh, eight and a half pints, Tim, but I'm hoping that by later tonight... Eight and a half pints? <laughs> She's right. It's OK. No, I think we'll just have a bit of black currant juice. Okay. Now, try that, Laura. Mrs. Brittus, I meant that spirit to provide heat and light. I think it does both of those things quite well, Colin. <laughs> well, at least leave me enough to power Mr. Brittus's emergency exit signs. <laughs> then the group discover a truck that has crashed, and inside are all sorts of costumes and props for a production of an inspector cause. They decide to take the wood and the costumes for a New Year's party. Goodbye, <laughs> everyone. Goodness, <laughs> 
did you get that? I suddenly realized there's masses of wood out there in the lorry. There's a table, tea chest. What lorry? The one that crashed. It was carrying the whole set and costumes for a production of spectacles for the Chichester Festival Theatre. Costumes? You mean clean clothes? Yeah. Well, and tables and chairs. They've probably got china and cutlery and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's whole crates of it. Brutus, meanwhile, has been trying to signal on the roof and was kind of forgotten about in the blizzard. They all reunite for a makeshift feast to see in the new year. Before we start, could I just say something, please? Only if it's very short, Gordon. I'd just like to say it's going to be all right. What is? I managed to get through to the lad in Sycamore Road and he says that Newsround reported a warm front coming in from the west. Snow's already clearing in Wales. Most of it will be gone by tomorrow and you'll all be able to go home. Home? And I'd also like to apologise. I know the last few days haven't been the easiest and I, as your leader, to some extent, take the responsibility for that. It's all right. What? We didn't mind, really. Some of us have rather enjoyed it. Some of us haven't. <laughs> but we didn't mind either. Not that much. Well, I must say I'm very proud of you. I don't mind admitting that earlier on I thought morale was beginning to crack, but how wrong I was. And I think this also might be a good time to share with you an idea that I think you'll find rather exciting. I haven't told anyone this before, but I have a dream. <laughs> a dream that one day... Hold it, everybody! I think I've got it! Yes, here we are. Happy New Year, everybody! And back in 2019, we find out they meet every single year, no matter what. And all of them have been very successful. It's more to say thank you, really. Thank you. Look at them, Barney. Three millionaires, an international pianist, an archdeacon, and a government minister. That's not what normally happens to the staff of a leisure centre. I guess not. But then ours was no normal centre. We were forged in the furnace. We walked through the fire together, literally, on some occasions. <laughs> and it changed us. But Mr Brittus is still the same annoying chap. Ladies and gentlemen, Sir Gordon and Lady Brittus. Everyone. Oh, very good to see you, Mr. Brittus. Colin, bit of trouble on the motorway, I'm afraid. <laughs> had to stop and report a man with a faulty fog light. <gasps> Let me get you a drink, Mrs. Brittus. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my word, we've put on a bit of weight, haven't we, Karen? <laughs> so I'm sitting around playing the piano, I'd say. Yes, very possibly, Mr. Brittus. Thank you, Tim. Oh, and thanks, by the way, for sending me your book. Not really my cup of tea, but you never know, someone may buy it, eh? <laughs> oh, sorry, Linda, mind yourself there. Now, how are you these days? Fine, thank you, Mr Brittus. Sorry to hear about you and Edward splitting up. He died, actually. Did he? Still gives you a chance to find someone your own age, eh? <laughs> 
It's not a bad special, but it definitely relies on a big knowledge of the characters, and I felt that, a couple of decades since watching any episodes, I'd kind of forgotten about their quirks, so some of the humour was lost. It's more absurdist than I remember as well, but I quite enjoyed the ridiculousness of it all. I also just love Chris Barry, and wish there was a Christmas Red Dwarf, as I'm a big fan of that too. There is another British Empire Christmas special from a little later on, which I'm a bit more familiar with, so I may come back to that at some point in the future. Because I spent the whole of April tromping my way through any chocolate treats I could find thanks to Easter, I had desserts and chocolate on my mind. So I thought I'd look at the tradition of the Yule Log, although not so much the chocolate kind. Whilst the Yule Log isn't British in origin, it does have a long-standing link and connection to British traditions and history. As with many historical things, its origins aren't 100% clear. It seems potentially the tradition has roots in Germanic customs, and the first clear references to the tradition of the Yule Log stem from the 17th century. The log is meant to be burned, either consistently or in parts, on every day from Christmas Eve until Twelfth Night, aka January 6th. Many cultures have beliefs based on the Yule Log as it burns. By counting the sparks, they seek to predict futures for the new year and beyond. As with many of the traditions involving light at this time of year, such as candles and Christmas lights, it's believed to also be connected to the protection of the home, and bringing luck and happiness during the dark winter months. I found a record from 1725 where an English historian, Henry Bourne, wrote, Our forefathers, when the common devices of Eve were over and night was come on, were wont to light up candles of an uncommon size which were called Christmas candles and to lay a log of wood upon the fire, which they termed a Yule clog or Christmas block. These were to illuminate the house and turn night into day, which custom in some measure is still kept up in the northern parts. It hath in all probability been derived from the Saxons. For Bede tells us that this very night was observed in this land before by the heathen Saxons, for as both December and January were called Guli or Yule, upon account of the sun's returning and from the increase of the days. So I am apt to believe the log had its name of the Yule log, from it being burnt as an emblem of the returning sun and the increase of its light and heat. As time went on, the Yule Log became a traditional bit of British folklore, especially in areas of the West Country such as Cornwall, Devon and Somerset, and the North Country, especially Yorkshire. In some countries, the remnants of the ashes of the Yule Log were thought to protect from lightning strikes, evil spirits, ill health, house fires and other misfortunes. These remnants were often kept and used the following Christmas to light the next year's Yule Log. In some parts of England on Christmas Eve, the youngest child would light special candles from the Yule Log, and all there would make a silent wish. In 1914, J.B. Partridge wrote, The custom in Yorkshire involving the Yule Log was as follows. The Yule Log is generally given, and is at once put on the hearth. It is unlucky to have to light it again after it has once been started, and it ought not to go out until it is burned away. Note that I did not try a Yorkshire accent. Some traditions also had that when the candles were lit from the Yule Log and put upon the table, they must be allowed to burn themselves out in silence, and no other lights may be lit that night. In an interesting twist on the tradition, certain parts of the UK have alternative names and takes. In North East England, it was sometimes called the Yule Clog. 
In the Midlands, the best part of the UK in my biased opinion, it was called the Yule Block, not the most imaginative of name changes I'll give you. In Lincolnshire, it was called the Ghoul Block. And in Cornwall, the wonderful term Stock of the Mock was used. Non-English indigenous names in the UK include, and I apologise for this pronunciation, Bonkif Nadalig, or Blokinyigwilau in Wales, Yeel Carlina, aka the Christmas Old Wife in Scotland, and Blok Nanoleg in Ireland. Over time and with the growing sweet tooth of a nation, the Yule Log became a chocolate dessert, but that's a discussion for another time. Maybe this year, it's time to revive an old tradition. Get yourselves a big old log from somewhere and light it on fire over the holiday season. Though, you know, make sure you do it safely and carefully. Finally, let's briefly look at an American Christmas classic before jumping to some British artists who've covered it. Jingle Bell Rock was written in 1957. The first version released was by country star Bobby Helms. The track links back to the classic Jingle Bells, but updates it with 50s rock and roll language and style, such as Rock Around the Clock. There is some argument over the writers of the song, with Joe Beale and Jim Booth as the cited songwriters, but Helms and guitarist Hank Garland claimed they wrote the song. They said a track called Jingle Bell Hop was the original from Beale and Booth and had little similarities to the final song. Regardless, Helms and Garland didn't receive any royalties as songwriters. The song went to number 6 on the US Billboard bestsellers and up to 27 on the UK single charts. With that in mind, back to Britain. Let's start back in time only a couple of years after the original release in 1959 with Max Bygraves, an English comedian, singer and variety performer who sadly passed away recently in August last year. He was the presenter of classic quiz show Family Fortunes and received an OBE for services in 1982. He covered classic songs and comedy songs and released a Christmas album with his own take on Jingle Bell Rock. How about a very different legendary British singer with a big jump forward to 2006 
although we're actually looking at an 80s superstar, Billy Idol. Born William Broad, Billy Idol first gained fame as a punk singer in Generation X before becoming a solo star with huge hits such as White Wedding and Rebel Yell. His name apparently comes from being called Idol, aka IDLE at school. In 2006, he surprised his fans with a Christmas album with slightly mixed results. Check out his take on Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell time is a swell time To go gliding in a one-horse sleigh Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mixing and mingle in the jingling feet That's the Jingle Bell Rock Away from punk and to reality TV, which is responsible for the creation of Girls Aloud, a pop girl group formed in 2002 as a result of the TV show Pop Stars The Rivals, where bands made up of aspiring singers fought it out to be crowned the best. Girls Aloud were one of the most successful groups to come out of these early reality TV show attempts, and the band became wildly successful, achieving a string of 20 successive top 20 singles with four number ones. They won four Brit Awards and became the biggest selling girl group of the 21st century. Some of their hits include brilliant pop tracks like The Sound of the Underground and The Promise. In 2005, they covered Jingle Bell Rock in their own upbeat style. Let's end with a couple of slightly unusual covers. Peggy Sue, originally called Peggy Sue and the Pirates, are an indie folk duo from Brighton. They've released four albums, two with Wichita Records. They also released a Christmas EP in 2019 called Surf Christmas, with their take on classics such as White Christmas and, of course, Jingle Bell Rock.
finally, another very recent cover from a very unusual alternative band called Black Midi. Black Midi are a group from London who experiment with noise rock, post-punk and math rock, creating unusual sounds that have received praise from the music world and the media. Their debut album, Schlagenheim, released in 2019 via Rough Trade Records, was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, a pretty big deal in the alternative music world. The band unleashed a surprise pair of Christmas songs on Bandcamp last year, 2020. One of them was a cover of Stevie Wonder's That's What Christmas Means To Me, and a take on Jingle Bell Rock in their own very unique style. That wraps up April's episode of Merry Britsmas, and we march on towards half Christmas very soon. Please do get in touch as I'd love to hear from more listeners. I may start including some listener feedback or thoughts or stories in future episodes, so I need some of your words. You could tell me about your attempt at a Yule Log, or whether you enjoyed British Empire back in the day, or if you know an interesting British cover of Jingle Bell Rock. Get in touch via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. I'm Merry Britsmas on all of these. Also, before you go, check out Totally Rad Christmas, a podcast about all things rad and festive from the 80s and 90s. I recently joined the host, Jerry DeVilla, along with a couple of other British festive experts slash podcasters to discuss Only Fools and Horses. That'll be dropping very soon, so subscribe to Totally Rad Christmas if you aren't already. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.